Hey listeners, this is Brian, co-host of Nerds on History and Nerds on Film. I want to talk to you for a second. If you like the content you've been hearing on our shows, please, by all means, go to nerdonomy.com right now and click on the merch link. That will take you to our own built-in store where you can go and buy t-shirts made from content on the shows as well as original content. All of our shirts are made in the U.S., so you can actually show your pride for the nerds and be ethical at the same time. Do it. Do it now, please. Thank you. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, David McGuire, and Sarah Ashley. Welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm Sarah Ashley. Tonight, unfortunately, our co-host David McGuire could not be here, nor could our regular guest Robert. However, since we thought tonight we were going to do a very special topic, we really need a special type of co-host. One who has an expertise that outshines all of our own yes absolutely and and not just special like really special but not like helmet or short bus special right and who better than my nerds on history co-host so ladies and gentlemen for those who have not been listening to nerds on history i introduce you to eric brickmont Yay! to those of you who are still listening thank you for joining us on Nerds on Film tonight. <laughs> I am I'm honored to be here amongst my fellow nerds at the Nerdonomy channel and all of our awesome podcasts that we put out and thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you. One of the topics we posted on the Facebook page, Star Trek movies, one of the longest running film series is that we have. I think next to Bond, it's like the second longest if I'm not mistaken. And since we did establish ourselves in the last episode as being the um, Switzerland or the Geneva Convention of, of nerds, we welcome both Star Trek and Star Wars here. I, I, I thank you. I will be the official representative of Star Trek tonight, and I, I humbly yeah. accept your nomination to that role. Definitely. <laughs> and just to show that there is unanimity between people, because I think as the last episode shows, I am a very big Star Wars nerd, bigger than I even I, I thought. So there can be brotherhood between the two arguable rival sects of the sci-fi world i say they complement each other very well they're two very different sides of the same coin and uh i accept you for who you are sir yes this is very complimentary i wish i could say the same for you but that's okay (laughs) that's okay i've been hearing that my entire life (laughs) if i hear that and accept it from my wife i can hear it from anyone so it's okay For me, I've never really been big into Star Trek. It didn't come to me until much later on. But you said you've been a Star Trek fan pretty much your entire life. Pretty much from the moment I was born. So yeah. my, my father remembers very clearly watching the first episode of Star Trek as it aired on his small black and white television that he watched at his parents' house while he was still in college. And he thought to himself in that moment, finally, quality science fiction television. And he continued watching Star Trek throughout uh, its original series run and into the movies and then into Star Trek Next Generation, which is what I was originally introduced into. So you burst forth from the womb being a Trekkie? I was I was there with com badge already pinned on my were, my freshly pink skin. Were your your fingers fused into the Vulcan salute? In fact, I had to undergo a surgical procedure at six months old to just have normal digit structure uh, to, to release them <laughs> from their their confines, their Vulcan confines. Yeah, and, and your first words were live feel? long and prosper. 
That's okay. I, you know, I, I always come back to them at night. I find myself curled up in a fetal position with the, uh, <laughs> with the, with the symbols clutched against my chest. Um, okay. Anyway, yes. Uh, needless to say, I have been exposed to Star Trek for a very, very long time. And one of the proudest moments in my life was watching my now six-year-old, then 16-month-old, absolutely glued onto the television watching the original series all the colors and lights and everything going on around her just absolutely uh, got her uh hooked and she's still hooked to this day oh that's awesome i love that um yeah when i uh as i was growing up i um i loved voyager female captain and all that i will not hold it against you oh i'm just kidding i love voyager in fact it's funny you say that because uh, every couple of years, I go on a Trek binge, mm-hmm. and uh, since they released TNG on Blu-ray, I watched that first season, and now I have to wait like six months for season two to come out, which we should probably talk about in length at some point. But I was so upset that I then decided to watch every episode of Deep Space Nine back to back, and then uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, but you know what? No, I respect that. Okay, I respect okay, that. Okay. I finished that, and so I'm now watching every episode of Voyager. Okay. Back to back. Okay. Yeah. For me, as I said earlier, I, I was never really into it. And it was more, I think, a circumstance than anything. I was coming to it to watch television just as around the next generation was ending. So I never got to, and I never was really into watching reruns at that point of the show. Um, I did see like one or two episodes of Deep Space Nine. I saw a couple episodes of Voyager. I was kind of intrigued. I kind of started watching when they did a lot of the stuff with Seven of Nine because I thought it was cool. Ooh, a female Borg. Yes. <clears throat> you and every other 15-year-old boy. Absolutely. Jerry Ryan, you know, wow. what, can we, what else can we say? Yeah. The Linda Carter of that show, basically. Mm-hmm. I think I just made Sarah feel a little uncomfortable. No, not uncomfortable at all. Whatever. You must agree. She's a very attractive yeah, she's, woman. Yeah, she's totally hot. If, she but... wasn't, if it wasn't for being, her being blonde, she'd be perfect. Oh, okay. I don't have a huge thing for blondes. All right, all right. So we're, okay. we're learning a little bit more about Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but I will he say this. He likes brunettes, and his fingers were once fused together. <laughs> <laughs> so he clearly likes Vulcans, very much so. Um, if, if you're a woman out there who likes being a homewrecker <laughs> and has a natural pointed ear system no, i'm kidding i'm totally kidding um martha will my, probably wi- kill my me. wife has now just unsubscribed <laughs> and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna find a laser pointed at my head any by, by the now. time you're all listening to this i'm now sleeping outside all thanks to brian thank you brian i appreciate that well it's okay you know and i'll for, be dead <laughs> for those boys who who did have their thing for seven of nine when they were going through puberty when i was very very young one of my early crushes was will wheaton will wheaton will wheaton who um, I should hope that you guys know who Will Wheaton is. I of mean, course. Obviously. Crusher. Yeah. Aside from that, but now him being like some huge internet star in, in geekdom. Yeah. I, I appreciate Will Wheaton so much more now than I ever did when I was a kid watching TNG. Well, of course, because he was this, he was character was this, this whiny teenager who just happened to be a super genius. And but, adorable. And I got to say, that beard does a lot for him. It makes him look Rugged. tons more mature than he ever did. Rugged. Will, what Will Wheaton did is he said, I get it, guys. Wesley was awful. I hate Wesley as much as anyone. In fact, I probably hate Wesley more than anyone because I am Will Wheaton. (laughs) You think you hate Will Wheaton? Try being Will Wheaton, okay? (laughs) I hated myself for that. But you know what he did? He accepted that and he said, I am actually a super awesome nerd and you're all going to know it now. And he has so many great things that he's doing and he has just shown the whole world what an awesome person he really is and what a great personality he is. 
And so more power to you, Will Wheaton. Yeah. And he's only gotten even more attractive. Now, Which if is only, the only if thing only I'm he would wear about. the rainbow stripes on his shoulders again. Girl, <laughs> right? let me tell you. So, uh, to bring it back to how I got interested into Star Trek, it was really actually the films. It was not so much the Shatner and Nimoy films, though those were I had watched them during the summer. We would all watch whatever was on. So I remember I remember watching uh, Star Trek four and five quite a bit. Uh, but really, it wasn't until First Contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we had seen Generations, of course, the Mer- the Bridge film. And that came from my stepmom. My stepmom was a very big sci-fi geek. She loved Star Wars and Star Trek. She was a fan of both. And she loved The Next Generation. And we went and saw First Contact at the drive-in. That movie was brilliant in that it was a really good establishment for the people who may not have been familiar with The Next Generation crew. But also filled in so many holes because it was retelling the origin of how the Star Trek universe even came to be right. in the first place. So I think it was a great film, a very lucky film for me to get into it on. So yeah, Generations was the first Star Trek movie I had seen in the theater. Because the movie to precede that one, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which I believe may actually be the best of the original cast Star Trek movies. I know there's a lot of people out there who are cursing me right now saying, how dare you not say the Wrath of Khan, but you know or what? Or even the original. The original movie had its, a lot of its own merits too. It, it did, except for that fifteen-minute-long introduction, which my God, long really? introduction. But you know what? At the same really? time, we owe Jerry Goldsmith, God rest his soul, a huge favor because the theme that the Next Generation uses owes itself to the theme he wrote for that movie. Absolutely, it didn't yeah. need to be fifteen minutes long, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I have forgiven for that. His other creative genius and contributions will always live on in Star Trek for all of time. Still, though, really? Seriously. It's like 11, <laughs> 12 minutes long. It's freaking ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, Star Trek Six though, and Star Trek Two, I'll, I'll say, are, are pretty much equal in my opinion. But Star Trek Six came out in 1991, and so I was still too young to really appreciate Star Trek to the level that I needed to, to really go and see it in the theater, to really commit and sit down for an hour and a half, two hours, and really enjoy that that fully immersive Star Trek experience. So Generations was the first one that I saw, and it was actually on Christmas Day. I'll never forget it. My godfather and my brother and I went to go see it, and I was like, this is so cool. I've loved Star Trek for a long time. I've seen every episode of TNG. I cried on that last episode, all good things. I was like, I don't even know how old I was. I was probably like 10. I just remember sitting there just weeping. And isn't like, there something, why is it over? And you know, there's something great when you take a really solid TV show and you bring it to the full screen with the same cast and it lives out to be even better. Yeah. And the anything. chemistry just follows Absolutely. over and everything just fits. And to think about the other sci-fi TV shows that have made it from screen, from small screen to big screen. Um, Firefly, of course. Yeah. I know. And since yeah. Serenity. Serenity was fantastic. Man. Uh, the X-Files, <laughs> Fight the Future. Serenity was heartbreaking. But it was fantastic. It was, it, yeah. It, when you watch the show, and I don't want, to, I don't want to turn this into a Firefly thing, but when you watch the show and then you see the movie and then you just realize what the show could, could have, have been. been, that's why it's heartbreaking. It just, oh, it, not it to mention Walsh, you. but yes, yes. Oh, yeah, man. I know, like a leaf, and then it's all over, and it's just, I that another moment. I love Alan. I think it's, I love Alan Tudyk as a great actor. He's no, I loved him ever since I saw him in A Night's Tale. Yeah, he's a genius actor, and he doesn't do enough work. I think he needs to be working 
way constant, way, more. way, way more. He brilliant. Wait, him and, the, and Nathan he was Fillion. Steve the pirate in Dodgeball, right? He was Steve the he pirate was in Steve Dodgeball. Pirate. Exactly. <laughs> and I love Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion, brilliant. No, thank God he has Castle because he needs something to show off his his personality. And I am not a fan of that show. Not I'm a fan. fan. Of, I'm a fan of Nathan Fillion. I'm not a fan of that show just because, in general, I'm not a fan of procedurals. I see. So you like like detective stories, necessarily. I. I yeah. Anyway, yeah, back, back, <laughs> that's a whole other tangent. That's yeah, okay. There, I can imagine that feeling. What having been in a situation where I think that was kind of like what I saw when I, was like when I saw First Contact because I had seen at least an episode of the Next Generation and I knew who the characters were. I knew who Data was. I knew who LaForge was. I knew kind of who Riker was, I, and right. of course Picard. But I didn't know like every single detail. Well, the great thing about First Contact was it was a little bit of something for everyone if you had never seen an episode of star trek the next generation or an episode of star trek in general but you enjoyed a good riveting action movie you enjoyed something that had some heart in it then you were going to find something in first contact and i think that's why it worked so well and the fact that they brought the borg in and the borg looked better than ever Mm -hmm. because you know when the borg first came out you know they were just pieced together by little bits of, you know, um, foam core and bits of tubing. And essentially somebody went to Orchard Supply, picked up a bunch of stuff and painted it black and glued it on an actor. And it worked. It was cool. It was awesome. It was within the budget of, you know, a television show. But to go to the level that they went to in the movie took it to just a whole new reality. And to see the discoloration of the skin and the veins kind of popping out, and you know, to when that to see the this, transformation, yeah, when it, someone gets uh, it made assimilated, it made you know, so so eerie. Oh god, yeah. they were so bad. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And then when Voyager went ahead and said, you know, ratings are down a little bit. We're bringing in the hot blonde, but you know what we've really got? You know what our secret weapon is? The Borg. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the Borg of TNG. It was the Borg of First Contact. Yeah. It was a much more dangerous looking. Yeah. And they reused all the props that they had so they didn't have to make a whole bunch of new stuff and everything. And it just looked beautiful. And that was the beauty of having it under one umbrella because UPN, of course, was a subsidiary of Viacom and Paramount. And so it was all under one umbrella. They could reuse a lot of those resources. It was Viacom and Paramount. Then why why did they call it UPN? It was a terrible. It, it, name. Was, it, called, called it was called the United Paramount Network. I know, but it's oh, just it was bad. That makes sense. It was I nice. wondered what that stood for. And then they, then they merged with the WB, right? It became the CW, the and that CW. was and that the C stands for Columbia, which is what the C and CBS stands for. CBS uh, is the Columbia CW Broadcasting stand, System. I'm pretty sure CW stands for Crapwad. <laughs> uh, the Vampire Diaries are awesome. I'm kidding. Get the I'm hell kidding. out of your own house. I'm kidding. You get the hell out of your own house, sir. <laughs> we went, we've already went over this. Where am I going to go? <laughs> you leave my house if you're, if you're upset. Now, let me just say, um, this is my special memory with um, seeing Generations. And I, I had seen other Star Trek movies before that. I was a little kid and mostly remember going, why are there whales in Star Trek? I don't understand. <laughs> I couldn't quite put that there one together. Be whales here, <laughs> Captain. There be whales. <laughs> um, but I remember um, my dad took me on like a special birthday trip when I was a kid. My grandparents lived down in Southern California, and we did a special weekend where um, one day we went to Disneyland, the second day we went to Universal Studios. And when we went to Universal Studios, we did the Hollywood Walk, and we saw Generations down there. And I got a phaser. I was like, this is the coolest oh, birthday ever. Oh, my God. 
Do you still have it? I do not still have it because I am a I was a terrible I was a terrible child. I did not understand the importance of geekdom back then. <laughs> Brian, do you have a spare defibrillator on hand? <laughs> I might be needing one in a moment. His, his heart stopped. His heart stopped. I know, but I think um, uh, the people who live in this house are also CPR trained, so we're good. Oh, okay, we're good, good. good. Yeah. So that I can just ignore the tingling feeling in my left arm right now. Yeah, that's okay, fine. good. All right, yeah, you'll be fine. Okay. Walk it off. <laughs> Man, <laughs> slowly, slowly walk it off. But so aside from you know having wonderful childhood associations with that, I think one thing that I really appreciated about the movies is that it always brought a certain element of humor. More so than I think the TV show. The TV show um, played a lot of things pretty straightforward, but um, especially Data's character was always oh so God. comedic in the movies. Mr. Tricorder? Yes, absolutely. Mr. Tricorder. And of course, the favorite line of Generations. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, you know, that emotion chip in Data, like, just, it changed everything. And it wasn't coming out. It's fused now. It's fused. Yeah. It's, it's in staying there. there permanently. It's a robot with yeah. a personality, Speaking guys. of data, we should acknowledge who we're in the presence of. Oh, my of. God. I can't believe we, we've gone this long without actually introducing our hosts. special guests. This is terrible. Okay, so for those of you who are listening, may I introduce Please. them? Please do, sir. Have the honor. Thank you. Um, we have two extremely special guests with you tonight, and you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe that a podcast who, I believe this is our sixth episode, was able to get this high profile of a star. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite amazed that they were even able to make it here tonight. But we have two special guests uh, I'd like to introduce you all to William Shatner and Brent Spiner. Come on, guys, say something. Why? Well, okay, I guess we should probably point out that they're the cardboard cutouts. They of are the William Shatner cutouts. and Brent Spiner that live in my office, but they're here. And, and, you know, and, they, and they look very focused I, on I what do, they're doing right now. I, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I got to say, William Shatner's making eyes at me. Uh, he, he he is kind of making eyes at you. Making eyes at, he was making eyes at the swords on the wall. No, he's... Like, he's it, I it, want to have uh, a duel. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, don't ruin this for me. Okay. Just making eyes at me. This is young William Shatner, guys, not not Priceline William Shatner. <laughs> a rocket man William Shatner. No, the no. Shat, as they call him. No, no, this is this is William Shatner in like the, the height of his you know banging green aliens days. <laughs> Which we should talk about for a second. I just gotta say, my God, the man was a sex bot. The, oh yeah. The, the fact they never <laughs> touched on, like they, that would have been genius if they did an episode where Jim had gotten some intergalactic STD. Oh, like blue crabs. Yeah, and we were talking about like what, like how how nasty extraterrestrial STDs are compared to Earth STDs. Some like his, his genitals become cocooned. <laughs> Like for two weeks, I had a vagina. <laughs> oh, that would be great because then the bones could be like, "Damn it, Jim! I am a doctor, but I'm not a gynecologist." <laughs> His balls turn into tribbles. <laughs> Start multiplying. <laughs> you see him hobble onto the bridge of the Enterprise <laughs> because he can't walk anymore. I have tribbles in my pants. They're getting larger. Uh, now I would imagine space aliens Spock. would have some serious gun herpesophilus going on. Did you get the chair bagel? I need I need the chair bagel. <laughs> Spock. Um, William Shatner. Okay, I want to touch on William Shatner for a minute. Not not touch William Shatner. But touch on William Shatner. <laughs> no, 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 you can touch um, him. He's no, right here. He, he, he just said he wants to touch William Shatner. Come on, we all Save secretly deep down in, in, in a very non-sexual assault sort of way. <laughs> I just want so, to rub his nipples a little. God. I was. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Just threw up a little bit in my mouth, Mr. Right Shatner. Now. Mr. Shatner, if you are um, 
if you're, if you're listening, listening Sarah can be reached at Sarah at nerdonomy.com if you have available nipples she's willing and waiting hey 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 I just want to point out one that's not really a thing okay it was a joke second of all if you had the opportunity to touch William Shatner's nipples would you pass that up I'm sorry that's a story that is a story for the grandkids I'd be honest, as as heterosexual a male as I am, right? I would do it, right? Yeah, I would do it. I would do it. Awesome. Anyway, getting back to <laughs> to William Shatner and not his nipples. Um, <laughs> I remember I was watching. I don't remember what I uh, which one I was watching. I think I was watching the original series special features on Blu-ray, and there was this great story that uh, Leonard Nimoy was telling about William Shatner, and it's kind of sad, but at the same time, it kind of speaks to the kind of person that William Shatner is. Yeah. So. During the filming of their second season of the original series, they filmed this iconic episode called The Horta. And for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, in a nutshell, it's about these kind of silicon-based, rock-based life forms, right, that live on this mining planet, and they're killing off the miners who are, who are there. And in, the, in one scene, they wound one of them with a phaser, and Spock comes on over and tries to telepathically communicate with it via a mine meld. And that's that famous scene where he touches the Horta and he says, pain! You know, anyone who's watched mm-hmm, Star Trek mm-hmm. knows this scene. During this episode, during the filming of this episode, Bill Shatner's father passed away. And it was really tragic. It was very sudden. Nobody was expecting this. And he had to leave the, the shoot and go and, and be with his family and, and go to the funeral. And when he came back, you know, a few days later to, to finish the filming, they had pretty much already done the whole episode. There's a couple of scenes that Bill had to be in. And one of them was that pain scene. The way they were going to shoot it, they didn't have to worry about Leonard Nimoy. He wasn't even having to be in costume. They were just going to shoot to the, the scenes with Kirk and, and splice them in. But Bill's like, hey, hey, Leonard, I need you to do me a favor. You know, I haven't been here. I know a lot of stuff's going on in my life right now. But um, can you just act out the scene for me again? Just, just so I can see it, you know, because I wasn't here. And Leonard's like, absolutely, Bill. Whatever you need, I'll do this for you. So Leonard Nimoy gets in the shot so to speak right and he goes pain and he comes back and you know leonard it just it didn't seem like you had the same enthusiasm that you would have had when you were doing the shot can you i I hate to be a bother i hate to do this to you can you just can you just get down on the ground like you're actually with the prop again and just and just do it like you did it and he's like all right bill i'll do it for you i'll do it for you i'll take care of you so he gets down on the ground you know the whole set the whole crew are watching him he's like pain Bill's just like, oh, God, I just, I don't really feel it, man. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. So finally, you know, Nimoy's kind of like, he's like, man, all right, I got to do this for this guy. I just got to take care of him. So he gets down and he goes, pain. Shatner turns to the rest of the crew and said, can somebody get this man an aspirin? <laughs> That's the kind of man that Bill Shatner is. I think my favorite Shatner story, and this is coming from his own lips at one point. He it was one of the Star Trek movies he was working on, and uh, for those who work on Hollywood movies, you know you start for these big things. You start at an absurdly early hour in the morning. You're there at like five o'clock in the morning. If you have a normal call, if you have to do makeup or, or elaborate costuming, you're there at four a.m. till ten o'clock at night, if not later. It's a grueling shoot. It is, and he had left the shoot the night before with his costume because he didn't want to wait. To have to go get there and get in costume. So he woke up early, put the costume on himself, and he was driving to the set from his hotel. And he was doing like 80 miles an hour. And he gets pulled over by a cop. The cop asked him, so where do you think you're going, sir? And Shatner's like, where do you think I'm going? I'm going to my fucking starship. 
I'm just boldly going where no man's gone before. That's all. Don't mind me. I'm just I'm boldly going yeah. 80 miles per hour. Yeah. You know what? Just, just leave me the fuck alone. Seriously. You know, to have got that, a job to do. To have that kind of sense of humor. That's awesome. About yeah. yourself. Yeah. Is a rare gift, and we have to appreciate the fact that you know he got a lot of crap for playing that part the way he did, with the dramatic pauses, and yeah. there are many people for many years who who didn't even validate him as an actor because of of that part. And yet he pushed on. He's done some tremendous work since then. He was great on Boston Public. And I just want to point out, he's also an excellent author. And Mm -hmm. he has penned several Star Trek novels and done a really wonderful job with them. Um, One of them, gosh, I can't remember. It was one of the first ones that he had written after Generations. I think it was called Garden or World of Eden or something of that effect. And it was really very good. It was quite excellent. He had had written the whole thing himself without, you know, really a whole lot of other creative direction. He had just kind of gone off of what he knew about Star Trek, and it was good. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's a force. He is certainly a force. So... You leave your force out of this. You Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. Oh, we, we, have a, we have a we uh, have uh, an agreement here. I'm sorry. Hey, you know... If Prime sh- directive. If we have the net neutral zone shall set up between interfere. Brian Prime and directive. <laughs> if Shatner can yeah, be you. in Fanboys, which is a fantastic movie about Star Wars fans, and it did kind of, you know, poke a lot of fun at, at Trekkies, but, yeah. you know, he was even in that. And the guy I mentioned, uh, an undiscovered Seth Rogen. Yeah, was the yeah, was the yeah. Kirk um, and one of the other aliens in that? Um, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. Question for you then, Eric. Yes. What did you think of the J.J. Abrams movie? I was waiting for you to ask this question. I I remember when they first announced that they were doing a reboot mm-hmm. of Star Trek. I got really nervous, and I thought, Oh God, this is it. This was shortly after they had canceled Enterprise, mm-hmm. and Enterprise was a total debacle. It oh. was. That it was, was, that was not wreck. good. I, I sat through an episode and a half of that, and I was like, ooh, I'm not wasting my time on I this I watched one. the pilot, and I was like, eh. Well, let me, let me, let me speak to Enterprise real quick first, because Please it do. does kind of carry into what I want to say about Please do. Abrams' um, Star Trek. So Enterprise, I feel like, was the, the product of Rick Berman, who was the executive producer of Star Trek since Roddenberry passed away. And left that role to him and several other individuals to carry on the incarnations of Roddenberry's Star Trek vision, right? Which eventually resulted in right. not just TNG, but but DS9, Voyager, and then eventually and Enterprise. DS9 was also Roddenberry's idea, too, back, way back in the 60s, Conceptual, right? Conceptual, yes. Conceptual, not yeah. Not to the form that it eventually evolved into. But gotcha. yes, he definitely it was inspired by all the greatness that is Did he have any, not to derail you too much here, did he have anything to do with the TNG uh, incarnation as well? Roddenberry? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. The, the cool. first the whole the first two seasons were all his okay, cool. creation. Cool. Good to know. Um so Rick Berman has this really amazing ability to surround himself with very talented people and then let them do all the really good work. Uh, I'm not a huge Rick Berman fan, as you may have already surmised. Yeah, I got that. Um, because he ended up with Enterprise going in a direction that could have been glorious. It could have been so good. A prequel to the original series. Something that would lay down the foundation of everything that we knew as Star Trek. And what did he do? He made the captain a water polo fan. I'm sorry. I just Water polo in space just doesn't connect with me. <laughs> I just don't get that. Nothing against water polo. Water polo is a very difficult sport for those who play it. And it's a great you know, sport in general. But really, the starship captain's obsessed with water polo. I don't see it. Um, and he brought in an opportunity for us to introduce all this really cool technology. And what do they do? They sit on their ass for a whole season and wait. The transporter was the only cool thing that they did. 
They said, hey, it's a brand new technology. The captain won't even trust his dog to go through the transporter. So he doesn't even want to get on it. So they didn't have a they didn't have the holodeck. No, no holodeck. No, this was oh. so this was so bare bones that the the Enterprise at this point wasn't even you could barely walk through it. It was more like a space submarine. Yeah. It, yeah. Like. it had no shields. It had no phasers. It had no photon torpedoes. It had warp drive. That was about it. It had warp that, that drive. That shows how much I actually remembered from the episode and half that I did watch. But it had nothing that was iconic of Star Trek. It had the beginnings of that, which is where I kind of get where they wanted to go with it. But what they could have done is what they did with the transporter. They took a, a technology that didn't work all the time and had fun with it. Okay, your random photon torpedo doesn't work all the time, or your phasers don't work all the time, but don't make them pulse lasers and missiles. I am sorry, that is not Star Trek. In fact, they didn't even call it Star Trek for the first season. They called it Enterprise. And the theme music had vocals applied to it. It was so far from what the fans It was expected. very much a CW, modern... <sighs> Like contemporary rock. Kind well, this of was still the UPN. This was still during when UPN. I know, was in but never like it was in that vein. Yeah, it was when the UPN yeah. was way on its way out. So it was pre-crapwad. Yeah. Okay. And it was so disappointing because the fourth season of Enterprise, they finally got their shit together, and it was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. They talked about how the Klingons went from having four, you know, forehead ridges to not having forehead ridges, and they did it in a way that you know what I appreciated. I thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. And then they canceled it. It's like, oh, man. Wait, I went through three years of hell just to get to the good stuff, and now you're going to cancel it? Well, because you were more forgiving than a lot of the other fans out there. I think a lot of fans had already checked out at that point. And I totally respect where they were coming from, but at the same time, if you're going to be a Trekkie, you go with all of the good and the bad. If you're a Trekkie, you will watch Code of Honor, quite arguably the worst episode of Star Trek ever created in the first season of TNG. It's a entire planet populated by the most stereotypical view of like Africans from like the, the, you know, Zulu time period in, in the late 18th century. It's like, Oh my God, I don't why even would rem- you do I this? I don't even remember that episode. That's because so few people actually choose to watch it. Mm. And I it's think it's also, bad. it's so disregarded that they don't, they try not to air it that much. It's so blatantly racist. It's, it's horrible. It's I really, really go bad. Go back and rewatch. Watch Code of Honor. If you watch it in Blu-ray, it's actually slightly more watchable. But for every one of that, there's also like the greatest ones, like Shaka when the walls fell. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Trust yeah. me, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not putting down TNG at all. Sure, it's an amazing sure, series. Sure. It just the every, good every, outweighs the bad. Every single Star Trek series has its bad episodes. You got to take the good with the bad. Okay, so getting back to your original point, Star Trek, the movie, J.J. Abrams behind the helm. I was super nervous. I was scared. Yeah. I was, I was totally, absolutely terrified. I'll be completely honest with you. And I remember I went to go see it with my brother-in-law, who is a hardcore Trekkie, just like I am, and my wife, who I actually convinced to watch the entire series of Next Gen with me. And she also cried at the last episode of Next Aww. Gen. We, we teared up and cried together so on cute. the couch on Christmas two years ago. I will always remember it. That's why I love her. And my sister. So my wife and my sister are not big Trekkies, right? Okay, I got my wife to watch the TNG, but they're not big Trekkies. My, my brother and I were just sitting there. And then the theme music comes on and we look at each other like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. And then there's that first scene where you have not Jim Kirk, but his father, George. Yeah. And it tells the story of how, you know, Jim was born and that moment where the the universe is split. And I knew the second that that happened, this is the way they're going. Parallel universe. Okay, I can accept parallel universe. I've been a Star Trek fan for so long. If I didn't accept parallel universes, 
for I'd shame. I'd be total hypocrite. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? This has merit. This is going to be good. And they cut into the the uh, Star Trek theme song. Dun, 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 dun. And I was like, wow, they didn't go with the traditional theme song. But this sounds good. You know, Michael Giacchino was such a brilliant composer. And I love how they did. They went back and they brought back the original, original. At the very end of the at movie. At the very, very end. I was so almost good. in tears. I loved that part so, so much. Can, can I share the story of when I saw it? Please do. Okay. Because I didn't have any preconceived loyalties to the original series, I came in very, very open. Who I saw it with at the time did have very interested loyalties. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was very much in TNG. And also the original, because she had watched it with her dad. And her dad came with us, too. And he came in there with the most experience of being the original Roddenberry, uh, the original Shatner and Nimoy cast. And we all went in, and we all took something from it that was that was unique. And we all loved that movie. And I thought it was kind of cool that the neophyte, the, the more of the new follower and the original follower, all got something from that movie. I was literally weeping. After the, the opening of that movie, I was with him. I was with George in his last moments, and I was with the mother and baby James. It was great. It was so great. And I loved, I didn't get the whole parallel universe thing because I didn't follow the universe, the shows enough to know that it was a parallel universe. They did it in a way where it blended the uh, all the action of a really good, more modern, more current day sci fi movie, but yet still had all the, the right elements, I think, of what is signaturely Star Trek. What I loved is the Abrams went back to the original material, and you know he sat and he watched hours upon hours. Of, of course, he was extremely respectful to the material. And in the first season of the original series, there's actually a scene, and I believe it is in like the second or third episode to air. It's the one with the kid who has kind of the weird psychic powers. God, I can't remember the name of the episode, but there's a scene where Ohura is in the mess hall, and she's singing the song to Spock, who's playing his Vulcan lute. And the two of them have this kind of chemistry that works and kicks off and just works together. And obviously we know that humans and Vulcans get together because Spock is half human. Mm -hmm. So there's a precedence for it, right? And you could almost kind of see where they could have gone with it in the original series because there's this great chemistry between Nichelle Nichols and, and Leonard Nimoy in that scene. And I can imagine J.J. Abrams sitting there on his couch watching this, probably what he has, like some like 200-inch TV screen or something. What, what would be in J.J. Abrams' living room, right? And pausing and saying, we're going with that. Yeah. We're going to do an Abram, we're going to do a Spock yeah. O'Hara love triangle kind of thing with the whole Kirk sexual overtones and all of that. Right. And talk about perfect casting, too, because all those people had a huge task to fill by playing characters that had already been signaturized by the original actors, and yet they did their own take on it, but it was still respectful to it. Simon Pegg was a great Scotty. Oh my God, yeah. I loved it. I think Zachary Quinto was uh. a really, really good Spock, and that he wasn't afraid to be totally cold, and he was actually more, much more emotional than I, had ever, than I expected Spock to be. Well, Spock was pretty emotional before he died. Mm -hmm. Then he died. It became a lot less emotional. And Nimoy took the opportunity to kind of go a little bit more straight with the character and then came back with it towards like, you know, the fifth movie or whatever. I gotcha. But yeah, it was definitely something that we didn't see a lot of before, which was a young Spock really kind of discovering how to control his emotions, or in this case, not control his emotions, give in to his emotions and actually fall in love with a human woman just like his father had. It was, it worked on so many different levels. Yeah. And I'm so looking forward to the next movie, which Sarah, I think answers your question. 
Uh, all right, thank you, thank you for the answer. That was that was fantastic. Yeah, actually, I um I saw. Uh, Star Trek as a, the midnight showing when it first came out um, with a, a group of friends and I was just I was so excited just so completely excited again I grew up on TNG and Voyager we watched it every week and if we didn't watch it we recorded it so we could watch it and my mom grew up being a Trekkie and my mom was actually um, really into sci-fi my dad was just in general into like movies and pop culture and stuff so we were just kind of like that was just a thing that we all did we all sat in the living room and watched it so I was like I don't know it's kind of like getting really just super excited the way I would for the next episode of Next Generation, you know? And um, I loved every second of it. I actually happen to be a fan of, of heavily stylized movies, so the lens flares didn't bother me as much as it bothered everybody else. Um, but no, I totally agree. The casting was absolutely wonderful. Um, Anton Yelchin is a fantastic actor. He played Chekhov in the movie, and he just did... I just thought he was brilliant i just love that actor. the part where he's trying to put a security code in and the, and the <laughs> computer can't yeah. recognize what he's saying yeah so good. it was very good i instantly went back to nuclear wessels <laughs> wessels <laughs> he apparently has i mean his last name is yelchin of course but yeah he he apparently has relatives who are from russia yeah, yeah. so the dialect was not really challenging for him no, at all it wasn't challenging but it was a little yeah. thick but it was good i liked it it was I, fine I, you know I it was, was a totally new it was a it. young checkoff right there was one thing about the movie that did bother me, though. Okay. I'm not a big fan of moving parts in the Star Trek universe. So when the phasers, when you had to switch from, you know, stun to kill, the little crystal inside flipped around. Oh. I didn't like that. Oh. It just didn't sit well with me. I was like, yeah. It's really nitpicky. Well, to, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, hang on a second. He makes a very valid point, because, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. One of the things that struck me immediately about the star trek next generation series was it was one of the first ones to really actively incorporate computer effects right and something as subtle as they're at the control pad in the um on the deck of the enterprise and it's this touch screen animated interface is like mm. oh that's so cool yeah yeah no buttons no more and to draw a parallel when i saw the first iphone and i saw it in motion my immediate I mean, reaction. First thought, Star Trek. My, my immediate reaction. And it looked, Tricorder. And it looked it looked like it too, didn't it? It yeah. had you know, with the with the original kind of slightly goldish aluminum. I looked at it and I thought, this is Star Trek shit. This is totally Star Trek <laughs> shit. And I will say, you know, to draw a parallel here, the iPhone has never had moving parts in it. So well, there you go. You know where are we going? Yeah, I'll tell you, <laughs> Star Trek is. I greatly... want a holodeck. I'm just yeah. saying that right now. I want a holodeck. I want a replicator. Oh, I want a replicator. I want to be able to replicate the, the worst possible thing that I could eat for myself, like the biggest baked potato <laughs> with just as much sour cream and bacon on it as possible and have it like have the same calorie count as like uh, a piece of celery. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be so cool. Yeah. I would not be nearly as chunky as I am. I, I think for me, the transporter would be so great because frankly, I hate commuting. The transporter <laughs> scares the hell out of me. Okay. Let me, let me explain why. Because to make a real transporter work, which is what they're talking about in the Star Trek universe, you have to deassemble a person down to a molecular level and then reassemble them. No matter how perfectly you reassembled them, they would not be the same person. So every single time you walked in that transporter, you died and were essentially reassembled as more or less a clone with all those same memories that you had previously. That scares me. Well, the um, <laughs> they, there are scientists who have actually been able to uh, to create teleportation 
on a micro molecular level. Like yeah. they can have particles jump from one area to the other through it now. I mean, that's that's really, really. I would hate yeah. to think that like I would go through that though, and then you know come back seemingly just like myself, except all of a sudden. I don't know. I can't remember my birthday, or I can't pronounce <laughs> S's anymore. Or See, something I think like that. I think Reginald Barkley had a very good reason to be scared of the yeah. transporter. Clearly, we just need the mongoose equation, right? Mongoose equation fixes all things. We need the scientists to be working on it. We, no, we we charged you guys a month ago. We haven't heard anything back. We're kind of a little you a know. Little I think that. we I think we have our um, our first Kickstarter project. Oh, there we go. The mongoose equation. Uh, Everyone do, donate money to the mongoose the, equation. If you guys don't know what the mongoose equation is, then you need to listen to the Nerds on History podcast. First episode. Episode First one. episode with, uh, with your hosts, Brian Moriarty and Eric Brickmont. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm a guest on, on Nerds on History right now. No, no, no. I'm totally <laughs> bogarting this episode, and no, I, I but apologize. It's one, no, it's wonderful. We, we love listening to you. It's like story time. I love Star Trek. It's Obviously. So awesome. It's so it, much no, fun. It's very clear, and that's wonderful. And, I, you know, I got to say... Um, when I did go see the the Star Trek movie in the theaters, um, the amount of sheer joy that I felt when Leonard Nimoy came on the screen and oh, everybody so in the theater just, just like, got up and applauded, we're just like, Woo! we're all freaking <laughs> out. It was the best. And um, and one of my friends, um, shout out to Megan Wilson if she's listening. She, she better be. <laughs> she better be. She like flipped her lid. I swear to God, she was about to cry. Like just that, she was like practically in tears the entire time that we were watching that movie, just because she was so excited because she's she's such a trekkie. And the part where he comes up to the young Jim Kirk, and here's this this friend that he's known, this young friend just out of time who died in his universe twice, not just once, but twice in his mind died, and he gets a chance to reunite with him. You could see the emotion in this very stoic, cold-hearted Vulcan. And, of course, Chris Pine's character, you know, the, the young Kirk in the parallel universe is like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You and I are best friends. Why are you getting all mushy? My, my favorite line was, you know, going back in time, that's cheating. But he said, a trick I learned from an old friend. <laughs> like that was, I yeah. got warm and fuzzy yeah. When, yeah. When, when he said that. Sarah, so great. Mm-hmm. I would like to invite you, and of course all from the Nerdonomy group, to uh, an event in May 2013. Of course, I'm talking about the second Star Trek by J.J. Abrams, which will be released at that time. Oh, I'm totes um, there. We need to all go out yes, we do. for the midnight showing. Yes, we do. Uh, and maybe even have a, a follow-up episode with all the members of Nerdonomy together. Oh, that would be fantastic. Oh, my God. Epic. Epic nerd like, time. Like, well, like, li- like literally immediately after? Or? Literally right after. We Where will get out of the like movie theater at like 2.30. Yes. Yes. Oh, so we'll have to get the next day off from work, basically. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Or call in sick, one of the two. Yeah, it's quite, it will be <laughs> epic. <laughs> I can't come in. <laughs> Was that convincing? <laughs> well, then they know now. If, listen, if your supervisor listens to this I podcast, mean, we're screwed. Nobody tell anybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I am going to I'm gonna put this out there um, for, for everybody to know. I'm, I'm coming out of the closet here. On my computer at home, I do have a... Uh, a copy of an album called Old Yellow Eyes is Back. And it is Brent Spiner of Data fame singing nothing but crooner hits like a la Frank Sinatra. And it's wonderful. <laughs> it's just delightful. If you if you saw Star Trek Nemesis, you got to see Brent Spiner sing some yes. Irving Berlin, mm-hmm. some Blue Skies. And, you know, or was it, no, it was Gershwin, wasn't it? Was it Gershwin or Irving Berlin? 
It was uh, Irving Berlin. It was Irving Berlin. Uh, that's right, because Worf says that. He says, oh, Irving Berlin. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, Brent Spiner, before he was Data, was a trained theater actor. He was on Broadway. He was actually in the original cast of Sundays at the Park with George. One, wow. of, one of Sondheim's best yeah, musicals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know that you guys aren't big DS9 fans, but in the last two seasons of DS9, there was a really cool hollow character that was introduced. He was a self-aware hologram called Vic Fontaine. Uh, and he's played by an actual uh, singer and performer. His name is uh, James Darren. And he does the kind of lounge scene, Sinatra cover kind of uh, singing and they they brought him in, and I was just thinking, oh my god, wouldn't that be an awesome duet? Like a, a like the greatest album to bring him <laughs> and Spiner together, and then maybe even have a little bit of William Shatner. Oh my god, coming in and introducing his unique style of singing. That would be classic. You know, you know me. I've always talked about that. I think if the fates haven't aligned, that there should be a song speech album that is uh, co-opted by Shatner and William uh, Christopher Walken. You mean uh, Christopher Walken's? Oh wow, that would be that would be amazing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> I want to be a rocket man <laughs> in outer space with Bill Shatner. Wow. I want to point that out that that's now two nerds on film podcasts back to back with fantastic impressions i think we're gonna have to make this a regular i think i just need to start working on impressions i feel like i'm the only person who can't do any the ship shrink <laughs> yes. oh man beautiful i think star trek has really was really the i think the the first mainstream sci-fi of all mediums it's really has permeated to all mediums but first it started in television right yeah and what a way for it to have happened. It happened very shortly before the moon landing took place. So very representative of of our collective consciousness at that time. And you know, we, we did when we did our episode on television on nerds on nerds on history, we touched on this a little bit in that a couple very pivotal moments in television history occurred on Star Trek on the original series. Yeah, it was groundbreaking, um, yeah. Plato's stepchildren, which is of course the famous episode where Nichelle Nichols and Bill Shatner actually have the very first on-screen interracial kiss on American television was groundbreaking. And the amount of like threats and hate mail that Paramount received as a result of that, but still continued on with the show and did everything they did was also groundbreaking because it showed that this is a network and this was a, a production company that was willing to hold to their guns and stick to something that was so far out of the norm that was groundbreaking and, and would really break down those yeah. barriers. It was amazing. Well, the whole show was groundbreaking because you know you had a multicultural cast, right? Oh yeah, man. You had you had a Japanese guy actually flying the ship. Right. You had a Russian right next to him who was in charge of the weapons. Right. You had an African American who was in charge of communications, which is one of the most crucial roles on the ship, or else you can't talk to anyone. And out there you in had space. an extraterrestrial mm-hmm. in second in command. Yeah, and you know, as everyone knows, uh, you don't have a good engine man unless he's a Scotsman. So, of course, they had a, a Scottish guy who was running the whole, you know, ship and making sure everything kept going and didn't break down. Yeah. But um, still being led by a powerful white male. I'm just saying. But it's Bill Shatner. But it's Bill Shatner. Okay, forgiven. Forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> he transcends all barriers. Yeah. And he himself is Jewish. No, oh, well, As is Leonard Nimoy. So even though the characters themselves weren't Jewish. Sure, sure, sure. The fact that we had two very, you know, prominent roles on the show being played by two Jewish American actors. Or, sorry. Jewish Canadian actors. They were Canadian. They're yep. both Canadian. Yep. Uh, sorry, guys. 
Uh, oh, Canada. There, I made it up for you. Um, <laughs> it was great. It was beautiful. And the whole show just clicked. Even, Absolutely. Even when it didn't click in terms of writing and, and, and production values, the show just still worked. Uh, season three was a hard, hard season yeah. for the show, and it, it did eventually get canceled. You know, it's not like they just said, all right, we've done our part, we're done. The show did get canceled. I will say that uh, Star Trek has held a special place in my heart for a long time, and it always will. It's mm-hmm. such a great show. I have every single episode of Star Trek in existence, including the animated series. Um, the animated, I was going to talk about that for a so second. So good. There was a very short-lived original crew animated series from like the 70s. It was about, I believe it was two years after the cancellation. Yeah, it I was like, it was no like Filmation. Idea. I think it was yeah. Filmation who did it. The same people they did, they were doing film, they were doing cartoons of everything. And Definitely. thank you, James Doohan. May you rest in peace. May his signed autograph that sits in my office in my coveted place of Star Trek fandom always exist. Um, Your nerd is showing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm full frontal nerd right now. Okay, <laughs> um, he was uh, he was actually very pivotal in making that happen because some of the other actors did not come back to reprise their roles and, and perform voice acting, so he filled in, and he did more voice acting on the animated series than anyone else that they had in there. He was credited so many times with so many different characters, and he did it with a real fun and passion for it. He was a he was a really amazing actor, another Canadian. Love you, James Duhan. I'm, I miss you. Oh, just throwing it out there. That was a sweet That's moment. Cute. I do have some dilithium crystals. <laughs> I want to talk about this real quick. <laughs> I said with James Duhan. Um, original series prop, original or dilithium crystals were uh, purchased by the Duhan family uh, by his son Chris, who then went ahead and had them cut up into little pieces and put on eBay as part of the James Duhan Foundation, and so you could buy part and, and it donates to that. And so for my birthday this year, my brother, uh, who I love dearly, went and purchased me some dilithium crystals straight from the set of the original series of Star Trek. And did you squeal like a girl when you got them? I actually told him to buy them for me because I found them out beforehand. (laughs) But I did squeal when I saw them for the first time and have squealed at subsequent times. Yes, absolutely. Possibly this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I have these. Well, clearly we made a very good choice in picking you to to not only fill in as our co-host tonight, but also the right topic, I think, <laughs> because you have shown a remarkable passion for the Star Trek universe. And like you, I'm very open and very excited to see what happens with J.J. Abrams' this new version this alternate take on a mirror universe, if you will, a good mirror universe, as you will. I got to say, very, uh, very smart for doing the parallel universe thing. Like that yeah. was a brilliant move on his part because it was still respectful. But it's like saying, hey, it's the same story, but not really quite. So you it know. was it was typical of Star Trek. It was uh, paying homage to the fans who mm-hmm. loved Star Trek. And if he hadn't done it that way, he would have had a lot of very. And not only people. that, oh, yeah. but he, he did that. But he also wrote himself a blank check to do whatever he wants with the characters because mm-hmm. it's a yeah. parallel universe. And it's beautiful. But it's the great. thing is, is I feel like we at this point, like the fans would let him because the first one was so was so respectful. And he brought in Captain Pike, which was just such a cool idea because Pike was only in technically three episodes of Star Trek, the original series. He was mm-hmm. in the pilot episode. Where he was he played the actual captain. captain. Yeah. Uh, technically, he wasn't the original captain. Robert April, who was originally penned in for the script is considered in canon the original Enterprise captain. He had a five-year mission that never actually happened. It was just in the script. They rewrote the character as Captain Pike, casted him, had him in the first pilot. They didn't like him. 
they didn't feel he fit as a perfect captain. So that's that's when they brought in Bill Shatner. Just had to throw that in there. They validated that character by, by actually creating the transition from correct Pike to and making him an admiral too, which I thought was very clever. So beautiful. And putting him in the wheelchair at the end was great. Because Captain Pike originally gets caught in some terrible accident and becomes horribly disfigured and can't walk. And that's how they lead him into the original series episode, The Menagerie, which was this kind of two-part semi-clip show um, that was all about Captain Pike going back to the planet of his first mission and being able to walk and live out his life like a you know a person who was not afflicted by this, this, uh, this terrible accident. Uh, and giving just paying homage to that character, making it an important part, making it that transition piece... And then still staying somewhat in line with the canon and putting him back in the wheelchair. God, Abrams, well done, sir. Well played. You really make me want to go back and rewatch TNG now. Like I I've just, got like, them all. I'm like, I just really re- <laughs> I want to go back and rewatch all this. Stuff. I'm going to lend you my entire collection of Star Trek. I don't do that often. Oh my god. I'm going to lend it to you. Oh my god. And then I'm also going to lend you my entire collection of Doctor Who. Ooh, yeah. Because I have every episode of Doctor Who in existence, including the episodes that don't technically exist anymore. Uh, okay, that yeah, that I'd be really excited about that because I've only seen the new ones. So I want to see, I want to see where it all comes from. It's a commitment. I, I eight hundred and seventy episodes. I'm committed. It took me a year and a half to watch the entire thing. Yeah, it might take me a while, but I'm committed. Let's we'll, we'll loan them in installments. How about that? Very good. All right. Very good. Actually, <laughs> I, I trust my collection with you. Oh, oh, how sweet. I don't say that to many people. Oh, I should feel honored. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you for listening tonight to a lovely discussion about Star Trek. For those who don't know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nerdonomy. You can follow us on our Facebook pages for both Nerds on Film and our sister podcast, Nerds on History. You can reach us at Nerdonomy.com and as well as you can also email us now uh, at thebrickmont at Nerdonomy.com. Share some Star Trek stories with him, Sarah at Nerdonomy.com. That's Sarah with an H, -H. S-A-R-A-H. And Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-A-N at Nerdonomy.com. Please contact us. We would love to hear from you. You have a great night. And Eric, do you have any final words for us? I just want to say, Brian, Sarah, thank you so much for letting me come and join you guys tonight. Thank you for joining us. Uh, David, I hope you get well soon and you can come back and enjoy uh, your, your usual host and role here. And to all of you out there listening, live long and prosper. Number one, warp one, engage. <laughs> <laughs>